Have you ever been at an intersection with your indicator on left and wondered what would happen if you turned right? How would that decision to change direction and take a different road impact your life? This is I'm at a Crossroad, the podcast about life's ultimate plot twists, where you will hear stories from people who have faced a life-changing decision. This episode... Because I can still picture her face when I told her... (laughs) Imagine deciding to join the army, but keeping it a secret from everyone you knew. I did miss birthdays. I missed anniversaries. I missed holidays. You may not realise that a decision made on a whim could lead to huge sacrifices. She said to me, well, you're right. You're not needed. We don't need you anymore. Jim Gray's decision would have a dramatic impact on his family and take him away from them for seven years. The only thing was... They never got a say. When it came to signing the paperwork, in reality, everything should have, you know, my mind should have been thinking about the consequences of what I was doing. It didn't. It became that one new adventure that I was about to head down. I... I went home and was sitting around talking about our day and Sharon asked me what happened at work today because normally I had all the stories and stuff of things that had gone on during the day. And I said, oh, actually, I need to really talk to you about something. I just said, look, I've actually joined the army. Sharon sort of looked at me and then started laughing. And then that was pretty much it. Didn't really engage in any more conversation about it. And I sort of went, oh, that went easy. I've gotten out of this one lightly. Hi, my name's Jim. My story is about when I left an electrical trades career to end up in the army. I was that typical tradie kind of guy. You wouldn't think it now. Long hair, always had the scruffy, half-beard kind of look. Surfing, football, rugby, you name it, I played it. Motorbikes anything you could possibly think of. And it was a pretty cruisy, ideal type of lifestyle. I then spent a stint overseas doing different things, came back to Australia. I actually was getting ready to go away again and had a motorbike accident. A car pulled out of an intersection. I wasn't luckily going all that fast. I tried to avoid her. I ended up ploughing into the, into the side of her vehicle. Unfortunately, my hand got caught in between the guard of the car and my handlebar. That caused quite severe injuries out of that. Ended up on the bonnet, ended up down the road. Apparently, I tried to stand up two times, just kept tumbling. Amazingly, got up and walked back and then uh, looked at the lady in the car and just asked her if she had really good insurance and collapsed from there. Couldn't go back overseas straight away. Met my partner, stayed in New South Wales in Australia. So we'd been living together for probably a year. I was feeling a little bit lost. I'd always been a part of a team, football, rugby, things like that. 
I think when I was overseas, I sort of missed that. I didn't have connection with anything. And I love being with my partner. It was great, but it wasn't the same. Not being with any group, not being part of that collective. One of the other things at the time was the lifestyle that I had was a fairly selfish lifestyle. If I suddenly was on the way home from work, for example, and I had a surfboard in the car and I wanted to go surfing, I went surfing. And most of it was probably because I'd been independent for so long. I sort of made a decision that I was going to do something. I wasn't quite sure what it was. One day, I just made a phone call just inquiring about the army. They set up an appointment. Once that had been done, I suppose I was sort of committed, but even then, I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't told my boss, I hadn't told uh, my partner, I hadn't discussed it with anyone, no one at all. Before I went for the, the interview, I got my hair cut off. That probably the only thing that raised any any eyebrows, and I actually shaved too. <laughs> I walked out the door to the appointment, walked in, there's a whole group of you sitting there. You were talking to guys who'd been in the army for a long time. They looked old and grizzled, but when you talked to them, they were very clever at selling the career and what they'd done and, and all the adventures and things that they'd had. But in the back of the, your mind, you've watched, you've seen all the movies and you've seen where, you know, what happens. And so there was sort of that element of fear and what's going to happen, am I going to like the people I'm with? I don't know what it was, but I just felt this is probably going to be the place for me. I think the reason I probably didn't speak to anyone about the decision was, it's that thing, what if I don't get in? You know, what if it doesn't work? And I was still, in my mind, uncertain of what to expect. It comes down to that immaturity, I suppose, too. So I think it was all a combination of those things that I just never discussed it. And I, I truly did not discuss it with anyone. Not my best friend, no one, no one knew. Sharon and I were together for a year and a half before I made this decision. She was the, the more down-to-earth one than I was the more motivated, career-orientated one out of the two of us. Um, she had a very, very good career in banking, kept me on the straight and narrow, sort of. So it would have been an interesting decision for her. Actually, it was, because I can still picture her face when I told her. Sharon sort of looked at me and then started <laughs> laughing. I kept saying, look, I've done it. But also, I'm a massive practical joker, so sometimes people don't necessarily believe when I'm telling them stuff, and I think Sharon sort of felt that that was one of them. She thought it was going to be one of these long-standing jokes that I do. Um, so, yeah, there was no further, further discussion about it until the letter came. That's when it all became real. We had to sit down and have the discussion about how this is going to work, what's going to happen. And that was really interesting because obviously I didn't have the answers. I didn't know how all this worked. 
Most people who join defence join, they're single when they join, so those things don't actually matter. Or you've been a responsible adult and had the conversation before you join. So I didn't fall into either of those two categories. There was sort of this, do you understand what you're going into? Like, people are going to be telling you what to do. You've been used to running, you know, your own race. Where are we going to live? What's going to happen? So there was a whole series of questions that we just couldn't answer. There was a period where we weren't sure whether we'd actually survive the whole process. And then she just accepted it. I think she just realised that this is what I wanted to do. She'd supported almost everything else I'd ever done. So we'll just see how this roller coaster works. In the early days, being in the army was a massive adjustment. It was essentially a life living course. Some people needed it, others just, you know, cruised through it. The standards were higher, behavioural standards, dress standards. You get taken through everything from the beginning. It sounds really dumb, but they do hygiene lessons, how to iron your clothes, how to polish shoes. You got given a blank pair of boots, essentially, and told that you had to have them spit-shined. Where we get the high-gloss finish, well, that's all. that was all done manually by us at night. Some postings, you were working virtually every weekend. You would be away on exercise, or you'd be what we call observer-trainer. I did a lot of that. Other postings, it was a nine-to-five job. You know, you'd work Monday to Friday, come home, weekends generally were at home. There was periods where I'd be away a lot, but as two individuals with no children, you can afford to be a little bit selfish. I'd had a break from service. I said, hey, look, I've, I've had this offer to go to Malaysia for three months. However, on the preparation phase to go, and she came home and asked me how I felt about being a father. By that point, we'd settled into the fact that we couldn't have children. So that was sort of also dictating some of our decisions. And then when we suddenly found out that we could, it was a mind-blowing experience. The unfortunate part about it was that I spent the greater part of the pregnancy overseas and came home for the birth. The next one came along and once again, I was away for that pregnancy. He was late, so I managed to get home for that one. So again, I didn't share that experience. So when people, friends of mine were talking about, you know, they went through the pregnancy and all that type of stuff, and I'm like, no, can't tell you any of it because I just wasn't there. And that sort of feeds into a little bit of how our lives actually went. However, the beauty about the army too was that you had an opportunity if you planned everything correctly and you talked to your careers advisors. For example, I went part-time as a home dad, which a lot of other jobs wouldn't give you that opportunity to do. So I used to just work up at the local depot and they gave me hours that I would work and then I would go pick up the kids or be at home with the kids. It was a fantastic opportunity. I was probably one of the first in the Australian Army to do that. So it had an amazing impact on the family, though, good and bad. There were times when 
I did miss birthdays. I missed anniversaries. I missed holidays. It just couldn't be helped. That was the worst, actually, missing holidays. No, in reality, it's actually the boys' birthdays were the worst. Generally, you will be. Every two to three years, a service person will move. The families go with you. In my case, the two that I got, they didn't. We wanted them to grow up going through the same school, same friends, having a much more steady lifestyle. There were still impacts on them, but not to the same degree if I had have moved them. And I don't think, I think oh, talking to them now, we made the right decision. My career in the army was actually really interesting and I had a, a, a fairly lucky type of career. Stints as a part-time soldier and a full-time soldier. Been in service for 34 years and I probably did about 28 of them as a full-time soldier. The most dangerous place was obviously Afghanistan. Some of the things that were happening over there, there'd be an incident with someone else and then you just realise how fragile we actually are and then potentially how much I would miss if something did happen. I think the other one was when something does happen back here in Australia, people are notified by the news. But there's no names or anything used because they want to contact the next of kin or the relatives. It places your family on edge because they know that you're there, they know that there's been an incident, they just don't know whether you're involved with that incident. And that used to worry me a bit. I was quite concerned when that happened. Um, so yeah, there's those elements that weighed quite heavily on me. When you're going through life with your partner, um, you have things that are in common. We have big chunks where we don't talk about it or it's not discussed. And so that sort of meant that instead of running parallel, touching each other, there's times where we run parallel but we're apart. So then we finally decide to have this discussion and it was only then that I did realise the impact of service and what it actually does to the families. It's part of a lecture that I now do for defence personnel in so far as when I went into service, essentially my partner went into service with me. So what we say is they don't necessarily wear the uniform, but they do bear the brunt. I'd go overseas or I'd be on you know, long exercises or courses and what would happen is I'd come home, my vehicles had been serviced, the lawn was mowed, the house was looked after, the bills were paid, everything happened. The boys' birthdays didn't stop because I was away, but they celebrated their birthdays. And so there was a realisation after we had our discussion that they had gone into service also. And so we try to teach younger people now that just be mindful of your partner. But I, I was probably not as mindful as I should have been through the process. Probably one of those light bulb moments where you realise again um, how much is being sacrificed so that you can go and do what you do. I came home and there was a realisation that everything had been done and even the boys were all right. In actual fact, they, they shy away from you a little bit 
And this comes back to not sharing experiences. Boys are doing things. It wasn't that they were doing anything bad, but I felt it probably needed to be pulled up for it. They sort of looked at me as though, who are you? Why are you telling me off what's happening here? And they'd go to, to their mother. She realised that I was becoming a little bit disassociated from the, the family group because I just didn't know quite where I fitted in now. She asked me what was wrong and I explained it to her and she said to me, well, you're right, you're not needed. We don't need you anymore. But the thing you need to understand is that you're actually wanted and that's different. To be needed is, is not a good thing. To be wanted is the most important thing. And she said the, the world that we're trying to create is a world where if you are away, you don't have to worry about things back here. And so that's being wanted. She goes, trust me, you know, in a month or so, you'll be back doing the things that you normally did. You just got to ease back into what you're doing. And so that was the approach that we started to use then. So when I was away for long periods of time, I would just come easy and I'd be more like, you know, that, that um, guy who'd come home and anything good you wanted, you got. And mum can discipline you and I'll just look good. Luckily, hasn't created any big problems. I spoke to my eldest on his 18th and the plan was we were going to have this big 18th birthday. I kept talking to him about it and he just wasn't interested and I couldn't figure out why. So I finally decided to sit down with him and, and just ask, like, what's going on? You know, we're prepared to do all these things for you. And his response was that he just wanted me to be there for a quiet dinner to celebrate his 18th. And I asked him why, and he said, because you've missed so many that this one I just want with us, and then we'll make it up on the 21st. And I sort of went, okay, and then I talked to him about the impact of my service and, and how he felt about it. I often have thought about what kind of father I would have been if I hadn't have gone into service because the road that I was heading down was probably not the best one for kids. We went to Gallipoli together. So there's myself and the, the two boys and we sort of discussed it again and how service has an impact and the consequences that came out of it. And happily, the other thing that we've discussed is if I had my time over, would I do it again? And I had to be honest and say yes, that I would. But I asked them if they had their time over, would they wish that I hadn't done it? And both of them have said no, because my service makes me who I am. Thank you for listening to I'm at a Crossroad. If this episode has touched on issues you're struggling with and you feel like you need resources or support, go to beyondblue.org.au. Or for 24-hour free counselling in Australia, call Lifeline on 13 11 14 and please look after yourself. I'm at a Crossroad is produced on Bidjigal and Gadigal land by students from the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. We would like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the traditional owners and custodians of this land and pay our respects to Elders past and present. This episode was edited by Jonathan Pearson. Sound design by Harry Hughes. Produced by Liam A. Church. 
Executive Producers Tristan Black and Angela Chu. 